morning. It's Todd coming to you from the uh, Verona Sports and Spiritual Library here in my apartment in Verona, Wisconsin. And I did a little baseball update. And I'm going to go into the spirituality part now. So it's experience, strength, and hope. And the first one I'm going to start with is on page uh, 90. What this is is a... Uh, Stories from the first three editions of the Alcoholics Anonymous. And these are stories that were weeded out for the uh, the fourth edition. Every edition they came in with, had, they had to weed out some stories to uh, because they had 164 page text. So they had to uh, weed it out a little bit so it didn't get too uh, over. So it just didn't get over too overcrowded. And the thing is that I like about it too is the fact that it goes all the way back in time. It goes all the way back to the first edition. So, um, you know, this, this program, Alcoholics Anonymous, is really powerful. And I love the uh, the history and what it does for people. It's so God-given. And uh, so this book is from the... Uh, Copyrighted 2003 Alcoholics Anonymous World Sur Services. I go through this every time because I want people to know where they can, where I'm coming from. They're not making up a bunch of BS, which happens in today's world too much. So, all right. Well, also this is a uh, general service conference approved literature. Yeah, that's a, it's a big deal in AA, and no matter what, I, I didn't ever, I thought it was a bunch of malarkey, to be honest with you. There's a program called Back to Basics out there, and I didn't realize that it was not program, that it was not conference approved, but, you know, that's that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, if, if AA doesn't approve, it doesn't mean that it's false or anything like that, it just means that. You know, you can only sit there and approve so much of this stuff. Alright, so what we got here is we got Truth Free Me. And it's on page 90 of this book, of the uh, Experience, Strength, and Hope book. Um, I'm on a squeaky chair, so please excuse me. Alright, May 1936, after a prolonged period of alcoholism. My friends, my associates, my superiors, and those people who really love me in spite of my embarrassments, too numerous to mention, finally left me because they had come to the conclusion that I didn't have any idea of doing or trying to do the right thing. I was a spineless individual who didn't care a rap for anyone or anything. I was hopeless and knew it, and then in my experience, a divine comforter, truth, came to me in a barroom where I had spent major portion of six weeks. The divine comforter, in my experience, came in the guise of a former drinking companion whom I had assisted home on several occasions. Because of physical infirmities, brought about by alcoholic excess. He had been unable to walk a distance of three blocks to his 
Holman insisted. When I last saw him, now he approached me to my amazement. He was sober and appeared greatly improved in physical condition. A lot of times, I'm sorry, but we get this stuff called an neuropathy, and it really, uh, and it really can take away from our movements. And usually, you see that when a guy comes off good drunk that lasts a couple, of two or three days where he can't, he's in a wheelchair, and then he goes. I want to tell this is that detox a lot, and um, I didn't really, I didn't really understand that back then. And that's what neuropathy. I had no idea what neuropathy even was. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty shocking to me to see this guy that was a nurse, and he, he couldn't even go to work a couple of times because he had neuropathy. Well, you know, reality too, he was a really smart guy. He had a wonderful education. There's only one problem. He had a disease of alcoholism. It wasn't a matter of brain power or anything like that. It was, it was just the, uh, it was just disease talking to him. So, anyways, what happened was, I got a good education on that, but just by watching him go through that. So, um, you know, he, he induced me to take a ride with him. As we rode along, he told me of the marvelous thing that had come into his life. He had more than a practical idea of my difficulties. He also had a logical and practical idea as to how they must, they might be overcome. He started con conversation by explaining acute alcoholism and stated very bluntly that I was an alcoholic. This was news to me, in spite of the fact that I had promised everybody east of the Mississippi they would take time to listen. That I was through with drink. <laughs> At the time I made these promises, I honestly wanted to quit drinking, but for some unknown reason hadn't seemed able to. He told me why I failed. He then suggested that I accompany him to a local doctor who had helpful, who had been helpful to him. It took 48 hours of persuasion and quite a few drinks to fortify myself, but I finally agreed to go. The doctor turned out to be one who had been an alcoholic himself, and in gratitude for the release he had found, and because he understood the true meaning of the phrase, brotherly love, was spending a great portion of his time helping unfortunate individuals like myself. With the help and advice of these two individuals, two or three associates, I was able for the first time in two and a half years to stay sober for six weeks and then disastrously tried the beer experiment. For some time I couldn't get hold of myself but gradually came out of hiding and exposed myself to gain to this influence which had been so helpful. July 2nd, 1936, I again contacted the two individuals, and since that day I have never had a drink. However, because of the difficulties I encountered as a result of the beer experiment, I was unable for some time to find reality in this new way of life. I was doubtful, fearful, full of self-pity, afraid to humiliate myself. 
It's not reality. Last night, I told you, summer 11th, when I was faced with absolute necessity of raising a sum of money. For the first time, came the realization that I was faced with difficulty from which I seemed unable to extricate myself. Of course, I took time out to bemoan the fact that after all I'd done, that just had to happen to me. Without the advice of my wife, I reluctantly went to a banker. I told him my story completely. I went to him believing that my need was money. <laughs> I went there as a last resort to attempt to pay it. I'm sorry, in a sense, to attempt to pry it loose to meet my needs. My need was not money. But again, I had been led to the proper source. After having related my story to the banker who knew my reputation, not only as an alcoholic, but as an individual who didn't pay his bills, he said, I know something of what you are trying to do, and I believe you are on the right track. Are you right with Father, who knows your needs before you ask? If so, you are not dependent upon this bank or any individual in it or any rules by which we operate. As your help comes from an ever-present and all-powerful Father, I am going to do everything I can to secure this loan for you. However, I don't want anything that happens here to throw you off the track. I want you to leave here feeling that you have done everything you could to secure these funds and go about your business with God's work. I don't know whether that calls for you to go and collect a bill, sell some new contract, or sit quietly and pray. But your father knows, and if you will, but permit him, he will direct you. I had again found reality. My needs were met from another entirely unexpected source. The manifestations of this ever-present power in my experience since 1936, are too numerous to mention. Let it suffice to say that I am profoundly grateful for the opportunities I have had of seeing and knowing the truth. Alright, well, you know, that's the thing is, that's just a short story, but that's what it all comes down to, too, is you know, it's going to the Father. He's the one who knows the truth. He knows what we need. It's not us. God only knows you don't want to give an alcoholic more money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that... One of those things I can laugh at because... But I know how it is to, uh, to not have the funds to drink. And how important it seems to be at that time. So, um, yes, yeah, we're gonna be starting with a new uh, with a new story here. Go smile with me at me. Gotcha, smile with me at me. So, anyways, it's nice to see the gotcha is in the, is in the house. Um, yeah, I know. Okay, you're fine over there. At the age of six, at the 
age of 18, I finished high school, and during my last years, there my studies were were dropping away to be replaced by dancing, going out nights, and thinking of a good time, as most of my boys of my age did. I secured a job with a well-known telegraph company, which lasted about a year. Due to the fact I thought I was too clever for a $7 a week job, which did not supply me with enough money for my pleasures. Such as taking girls out, etc. I was not at all satisfied with my small wages. Now I was good. Violinist at the time, and was offered jobs with some well-known orchestras. But my parents objected to my being a professional musician, Although my last year in high school was mostly spent playing for dances and giving exhibition dances at most of my fraternity affairs. No, naturally, I was far from satisfied with my $7 a week wages. Whoa. So when I came across a boy neighbor of mine on the subway one night, by the way, I read in the newspaper that this same boy died almost four days ago. He told me he was a host in a celebrated restaurant and cabaret, and that his salary ran $14 per week. He made $50 a week in tips. Well, think of being paid, think of being paid for dancing with carefree ladies of the afternoon and receiving all that sum. And me working for only $7 a And me working for seven dollars. All right. This is the beginning of a long stretch of high flying, as I thought. Only to find out when I was 41 years old to be very low flying. I worked in this restaurant until I was 21. Then we went into the World War. I joined the Navy. My enlistment pleased the owner of my cabaret so much that he offered me a good job at the end of my federal service. The day I walked into his establishment with my release from the active duty, he said, you are my assistant manager from now on. Well, this pleased me as you can imagine and my hat from then on would not fit. Now all this time my taste for liquor was constantly growing, although it was no habit. I had no craving. In other words, I had a date and wanted a drink with a girlfriend and I would, otherwise, I would not think of it at all. Six months in, in six months time I found I was too good for the job. And a competitive restaurateur, restaurateur, a chain of the best well-known nightclubs offered me a best position, which I accepted. This nightlife was starting to tell and show its marks and together with the slump and the sort of business at the time. I decided to apply for a job with a well-known ballet master who drilled many choruses for Broadway shows. I was his man's assistant and I really had to work 12 hours or more a day. But I got the experience and honor, which was just what I was looking for. 
This one time when my work, this one time when my work interfered with my drinking, this job came to an end one evening when I was drinking quite heavily. A certain prominent actress inquired of Professor X, my boss, if I would be interested to sign an 80-week contract to be for a vaudeville tour. It seems she could use me as a partner in her act. Now, a very nice woman, Miss J, who was office clerk and pianist for the boss, overheard the conversation and told both Mr. X and Miss Z that I would not be interested. Oh, don't you love it when people make up their mind for you? On hearing this, I went out and drank enough to cause plenty of trouble, slapping Miss J and doing it all-round drunk act in the studio. This was the end of my high-flying among the white lights. I was only 24 years old, and I came home to settle down. In fact, I had to. I was broke, both financially and in spirit. Being a radio operator in the Navy, I became interested in amateur radio. I got a federal license and made a transmitting radio set and often would often sit up half the night trying to reach out all over the country. This sounds like podcasting before podcasting. Broadcasting radio was just in infancy then so I began to make small receiving sets for my friend and neighbors. Finally I worked quite finally I worked up quite a business and opened a store and then two stores with 11 people working for me. Now here's where Mr. Now here's where old Barleycorn showed his hidden strength. I found that in order to have a paying business, I had to make friends, not the kind I was used to, but ordinary, sane, hardworking people. In, ordinary, in order to do this, I should not drink, but I found that I could not stop. I'll never forget the first time I realized this every Saturday with my wife, I would go to some tavern. I would take a bottle of wine, gin, I'm sorry, wine, a bottle of wine, gin, or the like, and we would spend an evening dancing, drinking, etc. This was 14 years ago. I was practically a pioneer in the radio business, and that must account for for people putting up with me as they did. However, within three years' time, I had lost both stores. I won't say entirely due to my drinking, but at least if I had been physically and mentally fit, I would have survived and kept the small business going. Now, from this time up to about a year ago, I drifted from one job to another. I titled brushes did odd jobs such as painting and finally got established with a well-known piano company as assistant service manager. Then came the big crash of 1929 and this particular company abolished their radio department. For two years I worked for one of my old competitors who owned a radio store. He put up with my drinking until I was in such a physical breakdown that I had to quit. All this time my troubles at home were getting worse. 
My whole family blamed my father. I'm sorry, my whole family blamed my failure. An alcoholic question. And so the, un, so the usual arguments would start the instant I came in the house. This naturally made me go out and drink some more. If I had no money, I would borrow, beg, or even stealing up for a bottle. My wife fortunately went to business, which was our only salvation. Our little boy was six years old at the time, and due to the fact that we needed someone to care for him, during the day, we moved in with my family. Now the trouble did start, because I not only had my wife to face every evening, but three of the elders of my family. My wife did everything for me she possibly could. First, she got in touch with a well-known psychiatrist, and I went faithfully to him and for a few months. This particular doctor was such a nervous individual, I thought he had St. Vitus dis I thought he had the St. Vitus dance, and I really thought he needed some kind of treatment more than I did. He invited hospitalization for three months to a year. Well, this was all out of order as far as I was concerned. In the first place, I had no idea. In the first place, I had an idea that when my wife wanted to put me away in a state institution where maybe I would be stuck for the rest of my life. Second place, I wanted to go, if anywhere, to a private institution that was far beyond our financial means. In the third place, I knew that would be no cure, because that reason that it would be like taking candy out of a ch young child's teeth, a reach, <laughs> reach. The instant I would come out a free man, I would go right back to old Elkie again. And there's one thing I found out later, I was perfectly right. What I thought and wanted at the time was not want, not to want, to want to take a drink. This phrase is a very important link in my story. I knew this would only be done by myself, but I, but could I accomplish it? Well, this was the main question. The point was always that when I did take, when I did drink. I wanted all the time not to, and alone wasn't enough. At the time, I felt like a drink, and I didn't want to take it at all, but I had to have seen. So, if you can, grasp what I mean. I wish I would not want to drink. Am I nuts, or do you get me? To get back to the doctor, if anything, these visits made me worse. Worst of all, everyone told me I wanted to drink, and that was that was all there was to it. It was all to that. After going to as many as six or eight other doctors, some of my own friends advised my wife to make her plans for the future, as I was hopeless case. Had no backbone, no willpower, and would end up in the gutter. Well, here I was, a man with much ability. But violinist, a radio engineer, a ballet master, and at this and at this point took up hairdressing. So they added one more to the uh, to the list. Can you beat it? 
I knew there must be some way out of all this mess. Everyone told me to stop my drinking, but none could tell on me how. Until I met a friend, and believe me, he turned out to be a true friend. I never had until this past year. One morning after one of my escapades, my wife informed me that I was to go with her to a public hospital, or she would pick up and leave with our boy. My father, being a physician for 40 years, put me in a private New York hospital. I was there 10 days and was put in physical shape. And above everything else, put on the right path to recovery and happiness. Alright, so what I believe is that. It's so true. What I was reading is. The thing I've experienced about alcoholism too is, you know, you, you can sit there and you can wish that you could drink one night, and uh, you can sit there and wish that you could drink, and then when you do go drink, you don't, you don't want to drink, and that, you know, and there's no way possible. You drive yourself crazy. You drive yourself stir crazy when you're doing, doing something you don't want to be doing, and every time you do it, you want to. Be, and in the last like yet the last night you wanted to not drink because you were drinking and then it goes to the head next night so you don't want to drink because you, you want to drink because you're not drinking well that just that, I mean, that puts you stir crazy that puts you really into a uh, real funk if you're not working towards the common objective of your life that's why it's so important to have Alcoholics Anonymous and have a have a have a wonderful higher power who can uh, who can hold on the shit who can help you with this stuff and get you to be feeling better. So, anyways, on to the next paragraph here. My friend first asked me if I really wanted to stop drinking, and if I did, would I do anything, no matter what it was, in order to? I knew there was only one thing left to do if I wished to live and not enter in an insane asylum where I knew I would eventually wind up. Making up my mind that I would, he said, fine. And went on to explain the simple steps to take. After spending an hour or two with me that day, he returned two days later and went into the, uh, subject more thoroughly. He explained he had been in the same hospital with the same malady and after taking these steps after his discharge had not taken a drink in three years and also there were about 60 others that had had the same experience. All these fellows got together on Sunday evenings and brought their wives to everybody to spend a very pleasant time together. Well, after I met all these people, I was more than surprised to find a very interesting, sociable, and friendly crowd. They seemed to take more interest in me than all my old fraternity brothers or Broadway pals had ever done. There was no dues or expenses whatsoever. 
I went along for about 14 weeks, partly keeping those uh, those ideas. And so one afternoon, I thought it would do no harm to take a couple of drinks and no more. Saying to myself, I have this thing in hand now. I could be a moderate drinker. Here I made a fatal mistake. After all my past experience, again, I thought I could handle the situation. Only to find out one week later, it was the same old thing. I repeated the same thing over again and another week again. Finally, back at the hospital. Although I went under protest, my wife had expected to take two weeks vacation in the country with me. Instead, I had to use this money for hospital expenses. During my one week stay, I held this as a grudge against her. The result was I got drunk three days after I was discharged from the hospital. And she left me for two weeks. During this period of time, I drank heavily. Being upset not only over her absence, but perfectly at sea as to how I could ever get back on my feet and make a new start again. There was no mistake about it. There was something that I failed to do in those simple steps. So I carefully went over her each day as I could sense my first drink after 14 weeks of sobriety and found I had slipped away from quite a few of the same important things which I should do in order to keep sober. Certainly, I was down now, ashamed to face my new friends, my own family, giving me up as lost and everyone saying, the system didn't work, did it? The last remark was more than too much for me. Why should this fellowship of hardworking fellows be jeopardized by me? It worked for them. As a matter of fact, not only who had kept faithfully to it as has ever slipped. One morning after a sleepless night worrying over what I could do to straighten myself out, I went to my room alone, took my Bible in hand, and asked him the one power that I might open to a good place to read. And I read, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I could see a different law in my, in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into cap captivity under the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me out of the body of this death? That was enough for me. I started to understand. Here were the words of Paul, a great teacher. What then if I had slipped? Now could I could understand. From that day I gave and still give, always will, time every day to read the word of God and let him do all the caring. Who am I to try? to run myself or anyone else. Wow, it's a good one right there. And it goes up to page 100, so I was just gonna say a couple things. Kind of, kind of chatty today, but anyways. What I'm saying is that as the time goes on with alcoholics, we realize that 
we realize that, you know, it's so good. It, it's, it's a difficult situation that we put ourselves in. But the reality is, is that we take another drink and it's going to, it's just going to kick in back in again. The whole, uh, the whole problem with the urge and the, uh, with the, with the cravings and the, uh, and, uh, sickness and, uh, you know, and, and it's just, you take that one drink and wham, but we don't understand that one. I don't think people understand that when they're not alcoholic, how important that is and how powerful it is. So that's what happens. That's what I've seen happen quite a bit. And, uh, I've done it before, you know, I've relapsed before and you know, and that was the thing too. And I just remember very well. Remember drinking and remember saying to myself, what the hell did I do that for? And you know, it was trying like trying to stop a runaway freight train. It was the, you know, and that's why people can't stop because it's not that their willpower is bad. It's not that the reasoning is bad. It's just a freaking disease just kicks your ass again and again and again and again. And we don't understand that. You know, I don't think, I don't think that non-alcoholic understands the power of that. You know, we just cannot overcome, can't overcome the disease with that, with our bare essentials. So that's what we need. We need a higher power. We need a, we need a higher, we need a providence. We need something that can deliver us from the grips of the disease. You know, and, and it all comes also nicely worded and stuff like that. But the reality is, is that there's nothing nice about the disease. You know, it's, it can be explained in all these different, you know, elaborations and all these different quotes. But, you know, one thing about it is, is that I think about this is the disease just kicks the shit out of us. And it keeps kicking the shit out of us until we can get some help, get some providence in our life. And, uh, and begin a recovery, you know, and it all starts, unfortunately, it doesn't start with day 200. It starts with day one, you know, and that's not drinking one day at a time. And, um, you know, and well, that's what I've seen. That's what I've experienced. I've experienced so much of this stuff, you know, so it's really hard to me to be critical of people and, uh, with my mind when, when they relapse, because I know the pull, I know the power. And I know the drink power and, uh, you know, it's, you know, if this happens, I'm going to go get drunk. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you have an attitude like that, that's what happens. It happened to me. And, uh, and it'll happen again if I don't have a bad, if I don't, you know, if I don't keep an eye on my attitude and keep on top of the game, you know, calling my sponsor, working the steps of chronological order at, uh, and taking time to be a, taking time to be a positive influence on people instead of a negative influence. So, and I don't like being a doubting Thomas either. So, anyways, well, great God, proud to say that if nobody else has told you they love you today, I do. That was with the power of love and with the power of the curl, my hair. Thanks.